You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So we're going to move into this uh, series, kind of a third week for us, that we're calling Gripping, Grasping, and Giving, and it's basically a series on money, power, and possessions, and I'm going to use the same qualifier every week if you're visiting with us, uh, just in case you have some sort of religious trauma that you're processing or other religious hurt or some sort of aversion to anytime someone like me stands up where I'm standing in front of a people like you and starts talking about money. Uh, and here's, here's, my, here's my big qualification and preface. First off, I, I can appreciate that and I agree with you that in a society and in a, in a, in a, in a nation or in a part of the hemisphere where religion is often used as a means of um, abuse uh, in the form of power, sometimes even as far as oppression, uh, as also a, a means of gain and, and uh, greed. It's always a precarious situation to talk about money uh, in a church setting. And so I want to I acknowledge that and say that I see that, uh, and I feel that in my own spirit. I think there's a lot of problems that come into the conversation uh, of money, possessions, and power, which it's important to remember we're doing all three, not just one over the three, is that we come to the scriptures to find comfort and hope. We come wanting to know more about worship and trusting God. We come believing it to be a religious book and about you know, things of, quote, heaven. And we don't oftentimes realize that this Bible also has other ways of instructing us in life we have this way of thinking that somehow money, power, and possessions, or particularly money and possessions, are secular, as we might say, secular matters, or, quote, heavenly, uh, or non-heavenly matters, or ways of the world kind of matters. But the reality of Scripture is that God doesn't create the dichotomies and the compartments of life. He doesn't look at life as a, as a series of chest of drawers, as a chest of drawers where there's spiritual life and physical life and all these things. It's all encompassing and all as one thing. So when we come to the Bible for faith instruction, we're going to find financial instruction. And yes, in this series, we're going to talk about personal finances. You can even see in the back of the worship guide, you've got some worksheets you can do. We're going to get boots on the ground practical but we're also going to look at it from a deeper standpoint, more than just, hey, save or not save, invest or not invest, our retirement plans or no retirement plans. Uh, we may speak to those things, but we're going to speak to those things with a, lot, with a little more depth. Because the reality is, Yahweh has a lot to say about money and possessions in the Hebrew Scriptures and in the Bible as a whole. Matter of fact, the Bible devotes twice as many verses to money, about 2,350 of them, than of faith and prayer combined. And even Jesus talks a lot about money and possessions. And a lot of times pastors will say, Jesus talked more about money than anything. Okay, that's actually not true. Jesus talked more about the kingdom of God than anything and used money as an illustration to talk about that a lot. Does that make sense? So 11 of the 39 parables involve Jesus talking about money. 18 of the 39 parables involve Jesus talking about food. So Jesus is using material things not to make heavenly points which is how we often think about this. Jesus is trying to help us see that when God reigns over a life, it includes the material. That God sees beauty and blessing in the material. Does that make sense? Like in the stuff of life. And Jesus is talking about then how that stuff needs to be seen and understood and possessed, and I'll use that word lightly, uh, in light of the God who reigns. 
And so a lot of the teachings that speak to money is talking about money through the lens of the kingdom of God and is using it more as an illustration. And one of the questions that I want to ask of us is to, ask, is, is to truly consider why is it that humanity has this tendency to grip tightly to money and possessions, grasp for even more, and give even less? And one of the things that we said and that we're going to say every week is affluence can lead to amnesia. Everybody say affluence can lead to amnesia. Say, yep, when we have more, more power, more money, more possessions, more status, that idea of more can oftentimes lead to, to a place of forgetting where that more came from and forgetting the purpose of the more that has been entrusted to us. Does that make sense? And so a lot of times affluence leads to amnesia where we forget that money is a tool and an instrument of power. And it being an instrument of power can either yield power that liberates or power that oppresses and that has always been the same for the hebrew scriptures it's always been the case for israel it's always been the case for for, for fred much less like for us like for us as a society every society has to deal with this temptation that we can actually end up loving money and possessions more than people we put profit over people and that becomes a sign of where our heart is as a society and it's not new it's never been new. As a matter of fact, that's why we're going to look so much at the Hebrew Scriptures to see how not new it is and to see what Yahweh's had to say about it the whole time and hope so maybe we can listen and learn from the mothers and fathers of our faith and uh, learn from, from them as I believe they would want us to learn because we find ourselves stuck in this cycle of grasping. Everybody say grasping. And grasping is where we're always reaching for more. We're never satisfied. We're rarely satisfied and we're reaching for more and more and more or we're just reaching for better and different but either way we're reaching because it's not enough and that grasping leads to this gripping everybody say gripping, gripping. and this gripping is where we just are like man there's not enough to go around so i better keep what i have there's not enough oil so we better take their oil there's not enough toilet paper so i better buy more toilet paper like, there's not enough, and so it's driven by this fear of scarcity. And then yet there's this God who says, I've come so that you may have life and life more abundantly. Yet there's this God of the Hebrew Scriptures who says, I'm the God who has cattle on the land of a thousand hills. I'm the God of abundance. I'm the God who spoke it all into existence. I'm the God who created it all. I know best how it works because I made it. And I made you, and I made you and it to go together, and I just need you to trust me. And not grasp and grip. And instead, maybe learn what it means to have a life that is willing to give. But not give out of obligation and duty. Not give out of guilt. But give out of a sense of belief that all I have is grace anyway. And if all I have is grace, then I have nothing that is my own. Remember our offering liturgy? You are Yahweh, Yaira, the God who provides. In truth, we have nothing but you, nothing that we might call our own. So let that good confession compel a better stewardship, a joyful heart, and open hands. Thanks, Natalie. And generous. Casey, you add it again. Casey's been preaching two weeks in a row. Two weeks in a row she's been preaching. Fred, let me correct you. Let me correct you with what that says. 
Um, yes, that, Casey. And a generous life. Like, that's the, that's the reason for the doxology. Like, the, the, uh, the offering doxology and the liturgy is a confession of a constant belief that we have nothing that we can truly call our own. And if we understand that, then all is grace. And if we understand all is grace, grasping and gripping become less of an impulse. That's my belief. That's what I've witnessed. That's what I sense happening in my life. That's what I sense happening in the lives of others that, are, that I follow and that I know and that I love. And that's what we see in Scripture, that there's an overflow of grace because we believe that all is a gift. And so I give not out of obligation and guilt. I get out of grace and gratefulness. I give because I can, not just because I should. And that's a real big difference. And we did look at a text, and we're going to read this text every week from Deuteronomy 8, where God is establishing his people, or God's people as a nation. And Yahweh, God, says to them in Deuteronomy 8, verse 17, Don't think to yourself, my own strength and abilities have produced all this prosperity for me. Remember the Lord your God. He's the one who gives you the strength to be prosperous. So I want to pause and I want to remind us again, prosperity is not the problem. The people who are prosperous are often the problem. And I'm the people. Does that make sense? Wealthy people and wealth is not a problem. It's not the problem. The problem is what goes on inside of us that creates other problems because of that. It's when those things are used, not as, no longer as something that's been entrusted to me, but as something I own. And so Yahweh says, look, when I bless you with this, don't think that you did this. Just because you worked the field and just because you tended to it, don't think you should get a cookie for it and don't think that you earned it. I did all that for you, and I gave you the strength to even do that in the first place. And we live in a society that loves this whole, you get what you earn. And that's how we, and we're like, my dad raised me this way, my granddad raised me, and, and he did. I was working at 13, because I was taught real early, if you, wanna, if you want, you got to work. And the only problem with that is when that becomes a virtue. You with me on that? That's a fine opinion, but it's not a biblical virtue. The idea that I get what I deserve is like the opposite of what the Bible's trying to set us up for. Matter of fact, the Bible says that's actually the problem. And you will see this play out in the wisdom literature. So we have these values within our society that tells us if a man, and we, and we quote scripture, there's one scripture, and we love to quote it, and we are going to get to this scripture, where Paul talks to the Thessalonian church and says, if a person doesn't work, don't let him eat. We, I, we will have fun. We'll have a field day with that. But it does, it's not saying, we, we have this belief that, okay, if you didn't earn it, then you don't get it. That's not how this works. Yahweh is saying, in reality, you don't earn jack. Everything I give you is grace. You just either choose to steward it or what? Not. I've given you a field, you work it, or you don't. I've given you a body that can work it, you either do something with that body or you don't. But the source, the strength, the power is grace. And then remember the last part of the text. He said, remember the Lord your God, he's the one who gives you strength to be prosperous in order to establish the covenant he made with your sisters because the end of it all in the end of it all, the end of grace 
is so that others will see your life and say, how you get all that? Like, how did you, you do all that? How did all that happen to you? So where your only answer is the Lord who provides. And that's what Yahweh's people was always supposed to be. They were supposed to live this life of prosperity and manage it in such a way that, listen, that it always created a good and just society. Everybody say goodness. goodness. Everybody say justice. justice. Money and possessions created a form of power that when leveraged in obedience to the teachings of Yahweh, created a good and just society. When they didn't leverage it that way, it created more of the poor, more of the vulnerable, more of the widow, more of the orphan, and more of the abandoned immigrants. But when they leveraged it, for the good and adjust of God, for the goodness and justice of God, they then cared for, by name, the poor, the widow, the immigrant, and the orphan. Because Yahweh knows that every society always, because of how power works, creates a vulnerable group of people who don't have power. And so what Yahweh wants us to see is that that's actually not the way Yahweh wants, and it doesn't have to be that way. If I come into the Christian faith and I lack, but Natalie doesn't lack, then Natalie provides what I lack out of the abundance of God in her life that spills into mine. That is Yahweh's economy. And that's what we talked about last week in Acts 4. We could look at it in Acts 2. Lord, we could look at it ad nauseum in Scripture. All right, that's the introduction. <laughs> now, we, 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 we'll get there. Because I'm tired. I mean, we, Latanya, even, she came in, Latanya. Latanya didn't realize I was coming back. Latanya was like, Brad, I didn't think you were going to be here. I thought we'd get out of church early. <laughs> I'm like, I see you. I see you. Just for that, Latanya is going to be willing to meet with anybody for an hour after service <laughs> as a member of our pastoral staff. She's here for you to pray and talk in any way you want. <laughs> so look, part of being, part of being a light unto the nations, okay, for Israel, uh, part of being a light unto the nations for Israel was to demonstrate Yahweh's wisdom. Everybody say wisdom. Was to demonstrate Yahweh's wisdom to the world. Okay. And how wisdom works is that when received and when applied creates what Yahweh called shalom, which is the Hebrew word for what? Peace, which means well-being or human flourishing. When the wisdom of God was received and applied. So, how wisdom works when it comes to money and possessions begins with remembering that Yahweh entrusts the people to the people, money and possessions, not only to be enjoyed, which we did look at last week, but to be used as tools to build this kind of society. And it begins with understanding that our giving and that these money and possessions and all that we have plays some role in our worship. So, all right, here we go. We're going to blast through this. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. We're going to look at the wisdom literature, particularly in Proverbs. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Everybody say first fruits. All right, then it says, then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Now, let's be real clear. Proverbs are not guarantees. They're guidelines. 
And when seen and received as wisdom from God, produce a fruit consistent with the wisdom that the proverb, that the writer of Proverbs proclaims to be true. And so at the beginning, he says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Okay, first fruits is the word. You find it in Exodus and Deuteronomy. You'll find it all throughout Scripture. If you load the notes, there's lots of Scripture there for you. The first fruits is another word for that would be first choice. And the way it would work in, in, in society is, is God's people would give to God the first fruits of all things. So it would be the first fruits, the first choice. Everybody say first choice. And that's important. That's a good language. So like if I grow something from my field, then I look at Yahweh and say, you get the first choice. And so I give the best. I give a tenth, at least a minimum of a tenth of the best to Yahweh. Or if I have oil, or if I, have, if I create oil, or if I create flour, or if I create bread out of the crops, then I also give Yahweh the first choice of that. Does that make sense? Or if I have cattle, or if I, if I like have wool, I give Yahweh the first choice of the first fruits of that. First fruits was an economic way of creating a culture of trust. In Yahweh's provision. Could, could you imagine? You work all along. You do all the work. You do all the things. You, you pray. You work. You pray. You work. It finally produces. And now you got to give. Now you got to give the best. To Yahweh. What does that make you do? Hope and trust that there's best yet to come. Right? Now these first fruits were given to the priests. And as Jason did a great job teaching us, the Levitical priesthood lived off of the economy and the provision of all the other tribes. And so these first fruits were given to the priests as an act of worship, some used in actual worship services, and then the priests would then take what was left and provide for themselves, but not just that. They would also save some of the first fruits for some of the community festivals and the community feasts. That they would participate in. Does that make sense? So like the Passover. All these different feasts. The Festival of Tents. The Tabernacle. All the different things. And then also make sure that no one in society lacked. So if there was need, all needs were met. Are you with me? So we'll talk about this more down the road. But first fruits really tried to accomplish at least three things. One, worship. Everybody say worship. It was to recognize that God is the giver and sustainer of all of life and can be trusted. When we don't trust, we reform to grasping and gripping. Okay, the second thing was about formation. Everybody say formation. formation. It was to be formed from the inside out as someone who would resist, who had the capacity, the character, the virtue to resist the grasping and the gripping because we trusted in a system of communal generosity. You with me? And then the third thing was to join in God's mission. Everybody say mission. Because when the people of Yahweh did this and did this well, they were a light unto the nations because there was no one who had need among them. Now, to capture this a little bit more, this is why we know that Yahweh's people could never live as a light unto the nations if they weren't a people of goodness and justice deeply formed by this kind of worship. You with me? And so it's one of the reasons why the wisdom writers in Proverbs offer these kind of guidelines that we're going to look at for the rest of the time. Proverbs 3, verse 27 to 30. Proverbs 3, 27 to 30. Hear the wisdom. Do not withhold good from those who need it. 
when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back later, I'll give it tomorrow, when you have it now. You see that? Proverbs 29, 7. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. You want to know why the righteous care about the poor? Because the righteous know God's provision for them. But those who refuse to care about justice for the poor, I need you to hear that it said justice. Social justice. Legal justice. Sedekah mishpat for anybody who wants to wrestle with that in the Hebrew. Cares about that. But the wicked have no concern. Because the wicked believe you get what you deserve. You get what you get, so don't throw a fit. But that's not all. Proverbs 21, 13. If you shut your eyes to the cry of the poor, you too will cry out and not be answered. This life of generosity that Yahweh showered upon His own people was to flow out of the people for the good of the people. And when the good of the people was achieved by the goodness of God, the nation said, who is your God? But when the people chose instead to pursue the way of money and possessions, they lost their own way, as we all have. So Yahweh calls out to Yahweh's people to listen to the Lord's wisdom on money, possessions, and power as the creator of all things who best knows how all things work. And so in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 10, Lady Wisdom speaks. Proverbs 8, 10 through 11. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Proverbs 11, verse 28. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. You see that? So here's how I read these two things together in light of everything we've said. When we realize that money and possessions are literally just tools to be used for the good of others and the glory of God, that includes our enjoyment, we are changed. Here's what I'm trying to say. Money and possessions are not about me and you. They just involve and include me and you. You see the difference? <clears throat> Yahweh's economy is not about me and you, but it involves and includes me and you. When Natalie takes Jesus seriously about her money and possessions, and I take Jesus seriously about my money and possessions, but we don't mistake as being about me or about her. When I have a need, she meets it. And when she meets my need, she's blessed too. And she, as the righteous one, thrives like a green leaf. Because she's not trusting in her riches. Do you see? See, the righteous thrive like a green leaf because they understand what generosity does. They understand the impact and the beauty of what it means when you aren't owned by the things you think you own. Does that make sense? 
When you aren't possessed by your possessions. When you recognize that all is grace. When you're not motivated by guilt, but instead by gratefulness. Because you realize all is gift. And so the writer continues to go on and help us understand that the righteous thrive because we use money, possessions, and power like tools we steward rather than things we own. And we leverage these things for goodness, for God's shalom, to ensure a society that is just and equitable in all of its dealings, including the politics and the business practices. Let me pause. Isaiah 58, we did the confession. Y'all remember that? That confession we've been doing all month? Did you notice anything about business practices being mentioned in there and how Yahweh is coming hard at unjust workers' wages? Did you notice that in Isaiah? Because Yahweh cares about that. There is no such thing as it's only, it's not personal, it's business. In the kingdom of God, it's all the Father's business. Your business is the Father's business if you've claimed that your Father is your Father, that is Yahweh. Right? So it's all the Father's business. And if I'm your sibling in Jesus, then it's our Father's business. That's how it, that's how it unfolds. Which is why the Proverbs writer in, in, in chapter 13, verse 11 says, Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Right. And we'll come back to this proverb and other Hebrew teachings like this whole idea of gathering money little by little, but for now I just want to think about it this way. Those who gather little by little are wise and generous. They don't grasp and grip. Which is why Proverbs 23, verse 4 says, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Listen. Have the wisdom to show restraint. I'll read that again. Proverbs 23, verse 4. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. This is such a powerful text. Do not wear yourself out, get rich, but have the wisdom to show restraint. The tragedy of my life, your life, our life, the tragedy of life is that many of us take on promotions and take on expansions in our lives, believing that that's how we provide for people made in God's image that we are called to love, but that it ends up taking us away from those people in terms of being present with them. And we don't always know how to say no when maybe there are promotions and expansions. We should have the wisdom to show restraint in affirming or taking. And we wear ourselves out providing and missing the very people for whom we've provided. And then one day we come back with an immense amount of regret. And what the wisdom of Scripture is trying to say is, it's not too late to show restraint. And you may say, well, what do I do now? You say, I don't know, ain't the Lord? The Lord knows what to do now. The Lord knows where to meet you in this place. But it may take a risk. It's going to take some trust in the provision of God. 
it's going to take a community of God who takes all that seriously so that we can bear the burdens of those decisions that end up being wise but have temporary consequences that will not outlive the wisdom of God in that person's decision. But this is, this is the wisdom of Scripture. The temptation is strong, and affluence does lead to amnesia. And many times, Yahweh's people did not have the wisdom to show restraint. Because we start grasping for more and never enough, and upward mobility, and more things on our walls, a different title on our business cards, or more money in our bank. Things that in themselves are not wrong or evil. Are you clear? I just want to be real clear with that. They're not in themselves wrong or evil. There is, however, a need to measure it through the wisdom of God. And the measure? The measure is always going to be generosity. Have you ever thought about that? Like that's going to be ultimately the measure. Because my generosity will tell the truth of what I really think about the things I own. And there's a need for wisdom there. When Yahweh's people failed, which they did time and time again, there were consequences. And some are horrible to read about. Yahweh's people get ransacked by the Assyrians. Yahweh's people get ransacked by the Babylonians. Yahweh's people picking fights with folks Yahweh said don't pick fights with. Yahweh's people doing things and taking things that aren't theirs and land grabbing. We're going to talk about land grabbing as a part of this. Matter of fact, we're going to talk about it so much, we're going to have some guest speakers, some people who talk about the Bray School and some people who, matter of fact, we're going to have the chief of the tribe of the people upon whose land we sit come and speak to us to tell the story of this church that we don't even oftentimes recognize. To talk about doing the work of repair and rebuilding and restoring what God longs to see rebuilt, repaired, and restored, what we, generation after generation after generation, break because of our gripping and our grasping and so that we can break it now for the generations to come, us. And Yahweh looks into Yahweh's people time and time again, even when they were scattered in exile and separated from all they knew and all they loved. The temple was destroyed. And even when the kingdom had been split two ways and all the different things that happened, Yahweh always sent them a prophet. And the prophet always had something to say. And the prophet always spoke of sometimes impending doom. Sometimes the prophet spoke of things that are to come. All the time the prophet called out for repentance. All the time the prophet put on the table hope. And in this particular time, Isaiah, the book we're going to look at as we close, covers 200 years, over 200 years of history of exile and after exile, which means return. And right at the edge of that moment, Isaiah comes on the scene and tells them in Isaiah 53 about a king who will do all the things they could not do. A king who will raise up for himself a people to do all the things they have not done, but they can get in on it. 
Are you with me? A king who will take on himself all of the bruises, all of the wounding, all of the betrayal, all of the violence, all of the suffering, all of the disobedience and the sin, so that they could be relieved of carrying that and live a different life. That suffering servant is who? Yep, Jesus. And so then just two chapters, as we call it later, Isaiah 55 comes. And I want to close with this. Receive this. All of you who are thirsty, just come to the water. Whoever has no money, come, buy food and eat. Without money, at no cost. Buy wine and milk. Why spend money for what isn't food and your earnings for what doesn't satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Enjoy the riches of feasts. What Yahweh is saying is, just come with your hands open in the economy. It doesn't even matter what you have or what you don't have. Just come. It doesn't even matter what you've done with what you had. Just come. I mean, Yahweh asked, like, why do you spend money and your earnings on things that don't buy you what you're really looking for long in your souls? You're going to find it in me, so just come. That's what, he, that's what he's saying. And he says, listen and come to me. Listen and you will live. I'll make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful loyalty to David. Look, I've made him a witness to the peoples, a prince, and commander of peoples. Look, you will call a nation you don't know. A nation you don't know will run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, who has glorified you. Here's what I think he's saying. He's saying, look, I made a promise to you. That, that was a royal promise. And even though that looks like it's gone, I keep my promises. The promise I made for a king to come is coming. And that king is going to bring you nations you didn't even imagine and it's going to do something beautiful in you, and I'm going to be glorified by it all. And then he says this, Seek the Lord when he can still be found. Call on him while he is still near. Let the wicked abandon their ways and the sinful their schemes. Let them return to the Lord so that he may have mercy on them to our God because he is generous and forgiving. And then he says immediately, and this is the last thing, he says what I think is probably one of the most quoted out-of-context verses that Christian paraphernalia can offer. It's right there to, I know the plans I have for you. Okay, he says, For my plans aren't your plans, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my plans higher in your plans. We often use that text in a way to try to explain what we feel is the unexplainable, but that's not the context of the text, and it takes away the power of the text when we just try to use it to explain the mystery of God. Well, God's ways are not my ways. Look at the text one more time. The first verse, the verse just before that is this. Seek the Lord when he can still be found, calling him while he's still near. Let even the wicked abandon their ways and sinful their schemes. Let them return to the Lord so that he may have mercy on them because he is generous with forgiveness. For my ways are not your ways. My plans are not your plans. What, what, what Isaiah is trying to say is, you treat, you, Yahweh doesn't see you like you see you. And Yahweh doesn't treat others like you treat others. 
Yahweh is far more generous than your generosity, far more gracious than your grace, far more forgiving than your forgiveness. No one is like Yahweh. Yahweh's ways of doing things are so much different from your ways of doing things that you need to be reminded that Yahweh is just very different from you. And even the wicked, even those who cause the problems, even those of us who've blown it time and time and time again can come to him because his ways are not our ways and his plans are not our plans. And then it says, just as much as the rain falls to the ground and produces a crop, just as much as the snow falls down and does what it needs to do and doesn't come back empty, my word will never go out and come back void. What I say will happen will happen. Which is another way of saying, where you don't keep your promises, Yahweh does. And so there is nothing you have done, nothing you can ever do, no situation too complicated, no many times you've blown the wisdom of God, the mercy of God, the goodness of God. You haven't grasped too much, you haven't gripped too tight for Yahweh to say, get away from me. You are always able to come and buy with no money. The only thing Yahweh wants, truly, is you. You have to give you to Yahweh. And then let Yahweh do in you and through you what is wise and what is good and what is just. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.